Welcome into the Mile High Bourbon and Rye podcast, our very first episode. Today we are going to be talking about Bottled and Bond, what the original Bottled and Bond Act in 1897 was, as well as what the current laws for Bottled and Bond are. My name is Zach. And I'm Angie. And we've been running this site for about four years now. Hard to believe it's been that long. Time flies when you're having fun. And whiskey. (laughs) So, let's go ahead and jump right into the show. The Bottled and Bond Act, originally passed in 1897, was advocated for by none other than Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr., the founder of what is now the Buffalo Trace Distillery and namesake of their E.H. Taylor Whiskey, which is some really difficult to find whiskey and also really good whiskey. So if you get the chance to pick up a bottle, definitely do it within reason. Some places charge a little bit higher than you should probably be paying for it. Some producers of whiskey would produce a distillate from other distillers, much like some whiskey producers today, and then they could either age, blend, do whatever they wanted to with it, and sometimes they would color and flavor the distillate with many different substances, such as tobacco, which is a flavor you commonly find in whiskey, and iodine, which is a flavor I don't feel like you commonly find in whiskey, but that's why that one's a color, not a flavor. So that makes more sense that way. It was quickly becoming an issue since there were strict rules as to what could be labeled bourbon, but there was not a lot of enforcement or real quality control. Uh, So as a push from consumers, people such as Colonel Taylor and distilleries that were doing it properly to create a better standard, the U.S. government stepped in with a solution. Now, the government was able to step in because they were supposed to be collecting tax on whiskey that was being produced, but, you know, back in the 1800s, it's not exactly easy to keep track of bourbon warehouses that... Exist in the middle of nowhere. Right, exactly. And you're out in the middle of a Kentucky backwoods and you're making bourbon and the government's just going to be like oh i guess you're making bourbon out here in the middle of the kentucky backwoods so hard for them to keep track of it so they came up with the solution of bottled and bond the nice thing with that is that they could actually very specifically keep track of the amount of barrels a producer had while also making sure that the product coming out of that warehouse was a legitimately made bourbon or whiskey labeled properly, and it was a good product, not something that was with whatever kind of crap people were putting into it, because, as we all know, given the chance, people (laughs) will cut corners. Always. A lot of distilleries were also happy to jump on board with this, because even though that meant the government could see and tax them on everything they had, the government also allowed them to delay payment of the excise tax on the aging barrels of whiskey. And so, the act passed in 1897. This act was basically a win-win-win for distilleries, government, and consumers alike. I know I'm much happier now that bourbon is a lot more regulated's not necessarily the right word, but it's kind of the only word. Yeah, I'm happy not to go blind from drinking my my whiskey. (laughs) So let's go ahead and jump into the rules of being bottled in bond. 
In order to ensure a quality product, these rules are for any bonded spirit, although most commonly whiskey is what's labeled as bottled in bonds. You don't see a lot of gins or vodkas or... Actually, you can't see a tequila because bottled in bond is specifically a United States label. Tequila is Mexico. Rule number one. The spirit must be composed of the same class of spirits produced from the same class of materials. Just meaning that you can't add in a neutral grain spirit or a vodka to raise the proof of a whiskey and still call it bottled in bond. A lot of places will use a neutral grain spirit, specifically in things like rum, it's pretty common to see, to just add a little bit more to the product. Rule number two. The spirit must be produced in a single distilling season, January to December of the same year, by the same distiller at the same distillery. So, no bringing in product from outside sources, nobody else can be in charge of the product, it's one distiller at the same distillery, all the grains from a single year. So you also can't blend different ages, which helps out a lot, because then you don't have a four-year-old, quote-unquote, with a you know, two-year-old blended in there and a six-year-old blended in there. I'm calling it a six. Right. (laughs) Although, fun fact, rum is allowed to label it as the oldest spirit in the bottle, and whiskey can only use the youngest spirit in the bottle. Hmm. So a 21-year-old rum that's a blend might be 5% 21-year-old and then... X percent everything else underneath that, That and they can still call it a 21. That is interesting. Rule number three, the spirit must be stored for no less than four years in a federally bonded warehouse in wood barrels where the spirit is in contact with the wood. Now that does exclude gin and vodka, where the inside of the wood barrel can be lined, but it still has to be a wood barrel. You can't use plastic or metal barrels to let your gin or vodka rest. Rule number four, the spirit must remain unaltered by the addition or subtraction of any substances, except by filtration, chill proofing, or other physical treatments that do not involve a substance remaining in the finished product. Because you have to cut it down to 100 proof, which is a rule we'll hit in a minute, Obviously, you have to be able to add water, but you can't add tobacco leaves to give it a more tobacco flavor. Mm -hmm. You can't stick your leather couch in there to give it a leather (laughs) flavor. Please don't stick a leather couch in whiskey. You might get some other things in there that aren't so pleasant. Would also be a really big barrel of whiskey. Belly button lint flavored. That just sounds horrible. Rule number five. After aging... The spirit must be reduced to 100 proof only by the addition of pure water. So you can't add anything else to it. It's got to be pure, clean, typically limestone filtered water because most of the bonded spirits come out of Kentucky where there's a lot of limestone and a lot of limestone filtered water. Rule number six, the spirit must be bottled at 100 proof. You can't have it at 99.9, you can't have it at 100.1. You gotta do that test. Actually, I don't know how much of a room for error there is, but I'm pretty sure it just has to be right at 100 proof, or 50% alcohol by volume. Rule number seven, the label must identify the distillery with its DSP number and list where it was distilled and where it was bottled if it was bottled somewhere other than where it was distilled. 
So you actually do have a little bit of room to kind of pull it out and bottle it somewhere else, but you have to make sure that that is labeled on the bottle. And this is to kind of help prevent some of that buying product from elsewhere and blending it all together and all of that. So bottled and bond, while a really big deal in 1897, really not as much of a big deal now. Government can check a lot easier thanks to advances in technology to make sure that the whiskey you're consuming is not deadly or laced with iodine or laced with gunpowder. <laughs> I don't know what they'd put in there. It was the 1800s. Gunpowder seems pretty easy to get in the 1800s. Willy-nilly. Laced with willy-nilly. I meant willy-nilly, just lace it with whatever. I know, but I liked laced with willy-nilly better. So, when you find a bottle that is labeled as bonded, it doesn't necessarily mean everything that it meant back in 1897, but it is a great way to find out exactly what a distiller is capable of, because they can't blend together multiple ages or multiple, like, different batches. I mean, I guess it's kind of different batches, but not really. I mean, it's a really good way to see what they can produce given those parameters, which is a good test of skill. Now, in our article on Bottled and Bond, and I'm just going to say it on the podcast here too, this is in no way, shape, or form a shot against people who just blend whiskey. Whiskey blenders are impressive. Just take a look at the folks over who are doing mash-filled bourbon. So good. Absolutely spectacular bottles. Do an amazing job with their product. Their Mezcal finished bottle? Was phenomenal. That smoky finish on the back end of it? Mm, if you haven't tried it, try and find one and pick it up. They've got a Kona Coffee whiskey and you now. you haven't brought it home because... Because I haven't brought it home yet. <laughs> That'll be one that we'll have to try really soon as well. Bottled and Bond also guarantees that whiskey is at least four years old. When you see Bottled and Bond, typically there will be an age statement on it. It's kind of a nice addition in a world where age statements are kind of fading out. They're just not as prominent of a thing. Used to be, you know, every single scotch on the shelf had an age statement on it, and now a lot of them just don't. It's fading out. So that kind of helps you to see how old the whiskey is. So, with that being said, we'll go ahead and talk about the first Colorado bonded wheat whiskey, even though we did put a post out that said it was the first bonded wheat whiskey. But it is not. Where Laws themselves actually corrected us and said that there was another distillery in, I believe, Oregon? I believe it was Oregon. Who put out a weeded or a, pardon, not a weeded, a bonded wheat whiskey. So, apologies for that mistake, but this is the first Colorado bonded wheat whiskey, and we're very excited to jump into the review. Contrary to how we post the reviews just in the text, we're going to kind of shorten this down a little bit. We're going to hit some of the major points, but we'll go into more depth on the actual review post on the website. So if you want to see the full review, all of our thoughts, everything that we taste, and then jump onto the comments on there as well and tell us that you taste something completely different or that you agree with it. Tell us how much you like it. Tell us how much you didn't like it. 
your opinion is exactly as valid as ours because we just do this for fun. Mm-hmm. So we'll start off with the nose. We'll go ahead and get Angie's notes on it first. Delicious. Delicious is a good descriptor. <laughs> oh, vanilla, oak, of course. Some citrus notes. Definitely a little bit of vanilla. Being four years old, you're going to get some of that oak influence, so I totally pick that up as well. I also get a little bit of kind of floral notes when I'm smelling it, just just a little bit. It's not overly floral, but there's definitely a little bit of floral to it. Maybe like a sweet pastry with citrus glaze. Mmm. Definitely got the citrus notes in there, which are very, very enticing. Um... On the palate, this is a very full-bodied whiskey. Lots, just lots going on. Uh, kind of a jammy mid-palate. What's the... Yeah, jammy would be the right word. Kind of like an orange... Orange marmalade? Orange marmalade. Definitely a little bit of orange marmalade to it. Um, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, they might actually put that on the back of the bottle. So... Yeah. We have the bottle right in front of us. We'll take a look at it. Apples, orange, lilacs. Marmalade, yeah. Wild strawberry, honey. <laughs> mm. A long, lingering finish with some of that, like, not sweet chocolate, the baking chocolate. Like, that you have to add the sugar to in order to make it actually taste palatable. Cacao. Yes. <laughs> it's got a real thick, smooth finish as well. It so, just reminds me of uh, breakfast pastries. Yeah, it's definitely got a breakfast pastry type quality to it. It's very good. Absolutely delicious. Very smooth. Now, typically we will do a with water, but to read our notes after we add a couple of drops of water... You'll have to go onto our website and read our notes after we add a couple of drops of water. We will, however, go ahead and give you our ratings and overall thoughts on it. Your rating first. Overall thoughts? I think it's perfect summer, late springtime. Captures it. It's like sunshine and breakfast. Mmm, delicious. 89 is my rating. For the laws bonded. It's very good and I highly recommend. Sunshine and breakfast is definitely appealing. <laughs> I like both of those things very much. I'd say this is a very well balanced, full bodied, really, really excellent sip. It's definitely got some sweet notes to it. It's nice and thick and creamy. I also gave it an 89, so that gives the Laws Bonded Wheat Whiskey, Centennial Straight Wheat Whiskey, an overall score of 89 from the two of us. So, really, you should go pick one up. Yes, and please let us know what you think. If you think we're ridiculous, that's cool, too. I don't know. I might bump it up my score to a 90. It's really good. It, it probably deserves to crack that 90. As I'm sitting here sipping it, like, trying it again, 
And I think I got to bump it up to a 90. It, it is, is a really good bottle. It is phenomenal. It does taste... I feel like since it's been open a little bit longer, that more of the flavor profiles have allowed to get in with the air, maybe? I don't know. Maybe not. It definitely does seem to have a little bit of a different quality. So I think I'm going to go ahead and bump mine up to a 90. 89 to 90... You heard it here. We're sampling and just making stuff up as we go. You ever watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? That's basically <laughs> what this website and podcast is. <laughs> Everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll matter. It's just delicious whiskey and two people who love it. Exactly. All right. Before we get out of here for this episode, we did want to take a second and tell you about the Rocky Mountain Craft Spirits Festival. Woohoo! Taking place on October 26th in Estes Park, the Rocky Mountain Craft Spirits Fest last year included 29 different distilleries, as well as some, I believe, local music, food vendor options. They had samples of all the food as well as full meals for purchase. And man, Estes Park is just a gorgeous place to be. It sounds like a fantastic time to me. There's the option to buy tickets, which we will include in all the posts that we have. Right now, you can buy tickets for the Rocky Mountain Craft Spirits Festival, and that'll get you in. It gets you souvenir glasses, samples of all the spirits at the festival. I mean, excellent deal on its own, but there's also an option to get a package that includes a tour of the Elkins Distillery prior to the event as well. Which is... A great distillery if you have not been. We highly recommend. 100% highly recommend. The folks there are absolutely wonderful people. They make a terrific whiskey, which you just have to try. With phenomenal cocktails. Their cocktails are spot on. So check out the Rocky Mountain Craft Spirits Festival. Like I said, taking place October 26th in Estes Park. We'll be up there potentially live videoing, podcasting from the event itself. We'll be walking around. We'll have a table. Come say hi. Tell us what you think about the show, what you think about the site, what you think about all the whiskeys around the state of Colorado. Because it is a booming industry right now in the state of Colorado. And a great industry to enjoy. Absolutely. All right. Cheers. Bottoms up.